millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. On today's podcast, we have Ben Elwood joining me to talk about Pixar's new movie, Soul. And I'll be chatting to you about the new Marvel TV series, WandaVision. Spoiler alert, I'm really digging it. My name is Justin Hamilton and welcome to Season 4 of Big Squid. We have a fun show to kickstart season four here in 2021. But uh, before we launch into it, I thought I'd just have a little chat with you about the start of this year. And I don't think what I'm about to say is unique to me. I reckon you will probably relate in some way. And sometimes it's nice to be able to talk about these things and know that it's okay to be feeling what we're feeling and know that you're not alone in these thoughts. As you know, I finished up season three of the podcast uh, at the end of last year and I flew to Adelaide for one last gig and a real opportunity to see family and friends. I flew out on the 17th of December, which was a Thursday around 4.30pm and then the next day there was a COVID outbreak in Sydney. So I was receiving a lot of messages and calls about whether I had gotten out or not. It was quite full on and... To be honest, it was really lucky timing on my behalf. Like, I'd just booked that date. Uh, I'd been kind of keeping an eye on things, but I just kind of thought, well, that seems like the right time to go, and then I can go and do one last gig at the Rhino Room for the year. And anyway, it all kicked off, and just that first day in Adelaide, I was just getting so many calls and and, and text messages, etc. It was quite full on, and then went off and uh, did the gig. And then the whole time I was in Adelaide, I was wondering whether I'd be able to fly back and get on with the start of the year. I had to do my tax, which was important for a number of reasons, including the opportunity to qualify for the last three months of JobKeeper. For people that have been uh, stuck overseas or who live overseas, uh, the Australian government uh, implemented this thing called JobKeeper, which 
depending on where you were at financially, uh, provided uh, some relief. And, you know, last year when all of my work just completely and utterly disappeared, it gave me enough money that it wasn't really covering everything, but it was definitely covering rent and uh, most of my bills and kind of kept my head above water. And then over time, it's been slowly kind of phased out you know it was getting less and less money and it was covering less but that was okay things were starting to open up a little bit but you know the start of this year has been really quiet so I was having to kind of keep an eye on what was going on because I needed to apply for it and all my tax stuff was here in Sydney so while I was in Adelaide I was having a great time I saw a bunch of family and friends I hadn't seen in a long time and to be honest I've been worried that I'm might be a while before I would see them. So it was really, really sweet. But I can't stress how great it was to see everyone. But after nearly three weeks of doing this, I was exhausted. And I totally didn't take this into account. But most people in Adelaide hadn't seen anyone outside of their circle of friends and family since the fringe. So in many ways, I was the shiny new toy. And this is not a complaint, but it was a lot to take on. And by the time I got back to Sydney, I felt like I needed a holiday from my holiday. Anyway, so I get back, I do all the boring tax stuff, and basically it culminated in that I had a really busy December, which was fantastic, which also means I'm no longer eligible for JobKeeper. Now, the positive is that I had a good December, and I was sensible with my money and I put stuff aside, and if I'm not eligible, then as long as people who need it more than me are getting it, that that's fine. Like, I get that. But this will make you laugh. I missed out by, are you sitting down? 0.02%. <laughs> Amazing. Still, that's fine. And I started back to work on a number of projects. But this is what I wanted to get to you uh, and, and, and talk to you about. I just found out that Most people haven't really come back to work yet. They weren't returning messages or calls until late. I had people promising that they'll call me that afternoon and then that call would never come through. And on top of that, I just felt tired from last year. I know New Year's Eve is arbitrary, but you do normally feel like you're ready to start the year. You know, it's like, it's the beginning of a new year. Let's do this. But like it was the middle of January and I was bent over with my hands on my knees thinking, fuck, do I have to do this again? So instead of jumping into work, I've taken some time off, uh, basically working on fitness. That was the other problem of going back to Adelaide. Uh, You'd catch up with everyone and everyone's really sweet and they'd be like, hey, uh, let's have a treat. Uh, Normally we eat healthy food, but why don't we have seven types of cheeses? And I felt like I came back looking like a double act. (laughs) So I've been working on my fitness. I've been avoiding social media as much as possible. You know, everything going on with the inauguration in America just made you feel like you were constantly clenched. And so I've been... uh, trying to keep off that as much as possible and instead I've been doing a lot of reading and I've been listening to music and I've just been trying to recharge the batteries and when I spoke to Ben as you know we were going to uh, look back at Sofia Coppola's movies and that was the that was the plan but we both saw Soul and thought well let's have a palate cleanser film before we do a deep dive on our next auteur 
Anyway, that's where I'm at. So I'm just starting to touch base with guests and regulars and I'm going to ease into this year because like you, I'm weary from 2020 and don't want to be burned out by March. I've never really started a year feeling like this before. So trying to be really sensible about it and really tap into what this podcast does best, which is really looking at all types of art and entertainment and celebrating them and being inspired by them. So Ben and I will get into Sophia Coppola's movie soon. And uh, I'm also going to be talking to you about a bunch of things I've been consuming and and I've made a decision that you're going to be getting bonus podcasts, shorter ones, which will just be you and me. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of the podcast. <laughs> that, my friends, is what we call a forward sell. But I'm wrapped to be back and I hope you're well and ready to join my friends and me for another season of Big Squid. Let's kick it all off by chatting about the new Marvel TV series, WandaVision. Wanda and Vision, aren't we a five pair? This is our home now. I want us to fit in. Oh, this is going to be a gas. Where did you two move from? How long have you been married? And why don't you have children yet? Our story. I think what my wife means to say is that we moved from... Moved from where? Married when? Damn it, why? Oh, Arthur, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. No. Why would you think that? Because you are. We are an unusual couple, you know. Oh, I don't think that was ever in question. One of the mild frustrations with Marvel's previous TV shows was their lack of completely matching up with their movies. The TV shows were run independently of what Kevin Feige was doing with the uh, films, so more often than not, there'd be some oblique reference to the big staff to varying degrees of success. You had agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. who did their best to really kind of tie themselves in, and the Netflix series, they started off referencing what happened in the movies, but overall they were their separate entities. And then there were, you know, mix and match kinds of shows. But now Marvel Studios is in full control of their TV series, and the first one up is WandaVision. Before we go further, two quick things. I'm going to mention some mild spoilers, but I'm not going to do a deep dive on this like I've done with Watchmen and the Nolan films. There's a lot going on with the series so far, and to be honest, I wasn't even going to cover it in this podcast, but I've just enjoyed it so much I figured I'd do an overview of the first three apps and then continue week to week until it's finished so we can have a little bit of a chat about it. And, you know, maybe we'll we'll, we'll have more kind of 
theories over at our Facebook page. But anyway, if you haven't been watching it, I just kind of wanted to give you an idea of where it was at and why you might like to give it a go. Uh, Second, the first comic I began collecting as a kid was The Avengers, so I have an unusual amount of Scarlet Witch vision knowledge. And with that in mind, I'm not going to speculate too much because I don't want to potentially spoil anything. This series seems to be drawing on so much lore with their own spin, so even if I did speculate here, it might end up being a... God, it might be a record for how long one person can bang on by themselves. (laughs) I'm pretty certain none of us want that, right? So if you remember the last time we saw these characters, Wanda was brought back to life by the Infinity Stones and nearly took down Thanos on her own. The Vision remained dead as he was destroyed when the Soul Stone was ripped from his body in Infinity War. So what has happened since then? Three episodes in and we still don't know. And I love that. Also going, apart from the first two episodes which were back to back, but going week to week is a, is a nice feeling as well. So not only are both characters back to life and together, but they appear to be living their lives trapped in different types of classic sitcoms. The first episode resembled the Dick Van Dyke show from the 50s. The second episode had echoes of Bewitched from the 60s. And the third episode felt like an amalgamation of the Brady Bunch with Mork and Mindy in the 70s. Late 70s, maybe early 80s for Mork and Mindy. I'm not quite certain of the time frame there, but it's around there. So each episode plays to the tropes of those sitcoms to a T, but what's fascinating is that the Vision, while being able to appear human, is still the synthesoid we know and love, and Wanda is still in connection with her hex powers. So the, the, the episodes are incredibly true to those types of sitcom, but there's just this strangeness that's around the edges. The first episode was played with an incredibly straight bat as the Vision attempts to impress his very serious boss, Mr. Hart, and Wanda tries to make the perfect dinner for the boss when he comes over. But there are cracks in the facade, like our marvellous couple being incapable of remembering how they first met. When Mr. Hart begins to choke on his food, Mrs. Hart becomes more and more agitated until Wanda commands the Vision to use his powers to save him. We quickly go from hilarious 50s sitcom to something much much darker but it's only a hint like it's it's such a tiny little taste that you could almost miss it if you weren't paying uh, proper attention the second episode feels like it could have been a perfect pastiche of bewitched but it's so cute the way uh, Wanda you know is using her powers and and there's a there's a funny storyline where the vision eats gum and somehow that clogs up his inner workings, but it's it's like he's drunk. And it, it, it's really cute and it's really funny, but there's tiny amounts of colour that begin to infect the black and white world. And then, like, characters turn up or, or people turn up that don't seem right. Like, as an example, a mysterious beekeeper appears. And when this person who kind of appears he he doesn't look like he belongs in this sitcom he doesn't look like he really belongs anywhere and he's got a he's got a logo on him that suggests that he works for a, a secret organization that in the comics is referred to as sword and then Wanda sees this beekeeper and calmly says no and then rewinds the events that have just occurred to arrive at the ending in the episode that she wants 
The third episode then sees Wanda somehow pregnant. We're in a completely colourful world now. It's, as I said before, a little bit like the Brady Bunch. And now Wanda's pregnant. And it seems to have happened in a short amount of time. And the Vision knows that it's happened in a short amount of time. And Wanda knows it's happened in a short amount of time. But they're just kind of carrying on as if you would in that kind of storyline. And it's all played for laughs. And it's really entertaining, but there's little strange things that are happening. Like the vision goes out the front and his next door neighbour is cutting the hedges and he seems to have cut into the brick fence. And when the vision points it out, the response isn't quite right, regardless of the laugh track suggesting that that's fine. And it's really fun. And then you, you, you see Wanda give birth and she doesn't have one baby. She ends up having two babies. And as I said, it's all laughter. It's all lighthearted fun. But when Wanda remembers her brother Pietro and how he died in Avengers The Age of Ultron, her Sokovian accent returns and she expunges her friend Geraldine from their home. Where does this Geraldine go? Well, it looks like she goes to a place that very much looks like the real world. And when I say the real world, I mean the Marvel Universe world. I've been on a bit of a David Lynch rewatch of late. I've been rewatching Lost Highway, which we might talk about further down uh, in upcoming episodes of the podcast. But anyway, uh, there's a strangeness to WandaVision that feels quite Lynchian. You know how he makes movies and TV shows that feel strange they're almost dreamlike in many ways and this show feels just like that each time they lean into a new era's way of making sitcoms there's always something just below the surface that doesn't jibe it doesn't feel quite right Paul Bettany has always been an amazing actor but watching him play the different types of leading sitcom men has been a joy He's so funny. He's he, like he's hilarious. But then he can just be nailing that style of acting so beautifully. And then he'll follow it up with a moment where you know, oh, none of this is quite right. I've also been thoroughly impressed by Elizabeth Olsen. And once again, she's, she's tapped into something that reminds me of Peggy Lipton and Cheryl Lee in Twin Peaks. There's never a moment she isn't selling the comedy or selling the scene. But when the facade cracks, it can be quite creepy. And in fact, the third episode had Wanda acting like a character in a horror movie. Even the moment when she's giving birth, if you kind of look at it and the, and the faces that she's pulling, they're, they're not quite funny faces. They're not quite the sitcom kind of faces that you would expect. And, a, and it looks quite horrific. And, and the way they use the laugh tracks adds to this uncanny valley where you never feel comfortable with what is playing out before your eyes. Sometimes the laugh tracks are there for something that's not funny. Sometimes people will say things and there is no laugh track. And that's really great and, and bizarre. Catherine Hahn has uh, been amazing as uh, the character Agnes, who keeps popping up in all these different sorts of roles throughout the series. And there's a possibility she'll be playing a very important character from the comics. Check out her necklace at one point for where her character might be going. Uh, Teona Paris, who was so good as Dawn in Mad Men, uh, is fantastic as Geraldine. There's a reveal that is going to come uh, up about her, which I won't ruin here. I, I found this out by accident, to be honest. I, I don't know if I would have picked this. I, I would have picked that there was something a bit strange going on, but this specific little twist, I, I I don't think I would have picked up on, and I'm very disappointed. But she is playing one of my OG characters from when I first began collecting comics back in the day. 
Uh, there are rumours that this series will tie into the next Doctor Strange movie, The Multiverse of Madness, and throughout WandaVision, we're beginning to see mild demonic references. Uh, once again... As I've already said, I'm trying to avoid the internet on this because I'm enjoying the week-to-week experience and I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But if this series does dovetail into the Doctor Strange movie, could we be seeing a new big bad set up here? There have been upside-down images of 666. There's the moment where one character says, the devil's in the details, to which Agnes replies, that's not the only place he is. In the comics, Wanda and Vision's twins have connections to the devil, and in Marvel Comics, the devil is called Mephisto. Now, the, the villain could be Nightmare, it could be Dormammu, uh, you know, that was the main villain in the Doctor Strange film, so it could be him, but Mephisto would be a whew, truly inspired villain to plague our heroes. Where do you go after Thanos? Well, straight to the devil, right? One more thing, Uh, keep an eye on the adverts that are made for the series. In the first episode, Stark Industries have an advert for a new toaster called Toastmate 2000, and it's advertised with the slogan, forget the past, this is your future. Considering it was a Stark weapon that murdered Wanda's parents, that's an interesting reference, and when you take into account the weird beeping the toaster makes, this could be a metaphorical bomb ready to go off and remind her as well. In the second episode, we have the Strucker watch with the Hydra logo, and as we know, Hydra are essentially the Nazis of the Marvel Universe. Baron Strucker was, of course, a very important character in the Wanda and Pietro storyline in Age of Ultron 2. And the third episode has an advert for Hydra Soap bath bar that allows an overwhelmed mum to feel like she's travelling anywhere while in the comfort of her own home. There's messages seeping in around the edges and we will see what this all means for poor Wanda. In the Marvel movies, Wanda has also endured possibly the most trauma of any of the characters. I have a think about it. From her parents' murder to Pietro's death, her mistake that cost the lives of civilians in Captain America's Civil War, to the death of Vision, and then being wiped out of existence before being brought back to life. She also nearly took down Thanos by herself. Wanda has always been incredibly powerful in the comics and in the in the movies and, the, and looks like in this TV show as well. So that would be an interesting thing to be exploring with her. So maybe someone is experimenting on Wanda or maybe Wanda has retreated into her own fantasy world to deal with her trauma. Could it be Mephisto is the bad guy or maybe Wanda is the secret villain? Is it someone else we haven't thought of? Like it could be. Like, it really could be. (laughs) Who knows? I have some theories, but for now, I am just happy to go along for the ride. The Marvel movies have worked towards a formula for a while now, with a few tweaks here and there until they got it right. And this is the perfect time to take chances. Superheroes have been in the mainstream public imagination now for two decades, and we've seen with TV series like Watchmen, The Boys, Doom Patrol, and Legion that you can now begin to play with the tropes and start to deconstruct, find new stories to tell, and take a chance on how you tell those stories. WandaVision feels like a step in the right direction, and I am locked in for the rest of this run. Joe Gardner is a music teacher who dreams of a career in jazz. On the day he nails an audition to perform with jazz legend Dorothea Williams, Joe has an accident and dies. 
Before he can travel to the great beyond, Joe attempts to return to his body to fulfill his dream. Yet when he returns to life, Joe realises he's brought along someone for the ride, and together they'll learn what it means to be alive. This is Pixar's latest movie, Soul. What the... What is this place? What's your name, honey? Uh, I'm Joe. I teach middle school band. Cut it, go for it! Today started out as the best day of my life. Back here tonight, first show's at 7. Yes! Woohoo! You know what that's gonna say? Joe Gardner! <laughs> I did it! I got the gig! Must have been sudden for you. Ah! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Help! I'm not done! Oh my, oh my goodness! No, it's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interests before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't want to. Uh. <laughs> okay, look, I already know everything about Earth, and I don't want anything to do with it. You're missing out on the joys of life, like uh, pizza. I can't smell. We can't. We can't taste either. All that stuff is in your body. No smell, no taste. Or touch. See? Okay, I get it. Wow. It's my life. Is all this living really worth dying for? You're still alive? Can you help me get back? No way! There I am. What are we waiting for? Wait, not me! That's weird. What is it? 151,000 souls go into the great beyond every day, and I count every single one of them. The count's off. I wanted to take a moment to discuss this movie, because we're meant to be doing uh, Sophia Coppola. But it felt like this film in particular speaks to the ennui that I've been experiencing Mm -hmm. at the beginning of 2021. I feel like... Yep. Everyone is kind of feeling this as well. But before we get into that, because mm. I think this conversation is going to be a lot of fun, but I think there's some heavy themes that are probably going to trigger both of us. And you've already told me that you've cried the three times that you've watched it, and I got pretty teary the one time. Dude, I'm getting it. teary even thinking about talking about the film. Yeah. So let's start <laughs> with something fun. Sure. In this movie, the lead character of Joe experiences the ultimate irony when he dies just before he has a chance of mm. experiencing his dream job. Mm-hmm. Do you have a dream job? I think I used to. Yeah? I think the reason this movie resonated very hard with me is because I've experienced a very similar arc to the lead character in that thinking that certain things, when they click-clack into place, will complete me and make me feel whole... And realizing maybe that's not the case. Oh yeah. And I think uh, 
you know, there's things that I would love to do. Like, I love doing this. How good would it be to do this and get paid millions of dollars, you know? Yeah, like, millions? Well, you know, you hear No, those... I want millions. <laughs> no, I agree. You hear, like, the Joe Rogan story of, like, oh, yeah. my God, he got $150 million. I'm like, wow, that'd be fucking great. Yeah. Or you look at, like, a David Attenborough and I'm like, wow, what a life. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, of course, there's those things. But um, I think the older I get, the more I realise if you are not whole uh, with nothing, I don't think that getting the thing is going to make you whole. I agree totally, and the reason I asked that question was I think part of what upset me is that I don't know what my dream job is anymore. Mm, yeah. Like, from a young age, it was in grade three that I told mum that I wanted to be a writer, yeah. and that came from my... I had a great teacher for grade three and grade four, a teacher called Ms Burgess. Yes. She had a... Uh, she had severe birthmark on her face and uh, down her arm, and it was, uh, in many ways, such a, a great person to have as a teacher because she was not only kind and smart yeah. and very honest as well. Like, I remember, you know, because she had this situation, yeah. I remember a kid in grade three saying to her, what happened to your face? And yeah. I, at grade, in grade three, like, died. Like, yeah. I died inside. And then she brought me back to life where she just explained it in a very matter-of-fact way. Yeah. And I was very lucky because I would, like, write these stories and there was at one point where she called my mum at home to say that I hadn't put in my homework mm. and it was meant to be a short story. And mum was like, oh, I'm horrified. Like, I feel like he's been doing his homework and I can't believe he was meant to have this in on Tuesday and now yeah. it's Friday. And she said, no, it's okay. I He's still working on it. He just needs to finish it. And I have written a 10-page story that if we could find it, I'm pretty certain is, and I will stand by this idea, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but Boba Fett is the main character. <laughs> right? That's the most Justin Hamilton thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I've been, I've been very much me for a long time, right? So for a long time, I wanted to be an author and mm. I wanted to be a writer. Yeah. And... In many ways, I have achieved that, yep. but not quite in the ways that I would have liked. Mm -hmm. And it has become a millstone around my neck to a certain extent. Sure. And, I, and I sometimes lament the, the way my career has gone because I ended up in the comedy world, which was great because mm. you could write and you could do it immediately and you could get feedback. But it has also meant that in the long term, at this age, it's, it's brought up bad habits. Yes. And so now I'm trying to break those habits. Like one of those habits is I write too quickly oh. because in the stand-up world, you churn fucking have to churn it out. Yeah. You have to got to do a new show every year. Yeah. And so I'm trying to slow down that process to make things better, etc. And it's really hard work. And watching this movie, you look and you go, am I now at an age where I don't necessarily have those dreams and is that sad? Is that not sad? Maybe that's okay. Mm. Or is everything just a little bit too fucked up? Anyway, and it was just yeah, a really yeah, 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 strange yeah. moment to go, I don't know if I necessarily know what I'm aiming for anymore. Well, I think also for people our age, um, you know, 
we've also had to contend with the fact that the landscape has changed so dramatically. So whatever dreams we may have had as kids, those aren't really viable dreams anymore in the sense of, you know, when I was a kid, I, I really wanted to be a famous actor. Uh, you know, and you look at... You what know, was the movie that inspired that thought? Um, you know what? Probably Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right. I was very, uh, I was very cognizant of Hoskins doing the the miming and how what a profoundly brilliant performance that actually is. Yeah, it's a, it's re, you know, and you see interviews with him from back in the day. And he's like, oh, by the end, I was seeing a rabbit. It was just right there. <laughs> Because they're, you know, they're talking about like how he's making eye contact with the rabbit. Like, rewatch that movie and don't yeah. look at Roger Rabbit. Just watch Hoskins, and yeah. it is unbelievable how brilliant yeah. he is. Like the physical, you know, he's like Chaplin, just amazing. Um, and you know, and I think we, you know, we're definitely the generation, and probably uh, you know, a few years older than us, even that grew up with you know the the the, the biopics and the autobiographies and and the myth of celebrity and you know that arc and all of that stuff. And you know, now that we're the age that we're at, those don't really exist anymore. Like mm. fame and success, as we defined it when we were younger, as, as dreamers. No one's ever going to be that famous again. It just can't be. There will never yeah. be another Elvis. There'll never be another James Dean. There'll never yeah. be another Marilyn Monroe because the the landscape is so splintered and bifurcated and all right. these things that you could be an icon to your audience, but it won't be this global thing. Or even if it is, it will be fl- a flash in the pan and over very quickly right. because you know there's just the line coming up behind you is so long that you know everyone you know that whole Andy Warhol thing um so I think you know it's that thing of having to reckon with the fact that you know maybe you're getting older and the 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 dream you had uh you haven't attained but is it even attainable anymore right with the world being the way it is and it's interesting you talk about fame and I don't know what your take on fame was when you were younger Mm. Fame was a double-edged sword to me. Fame looked awful. Yes. But I always wanted to be in a position where you were... My my dream... I have a dream position. Mm. I don't know what the dream job is, but my dream position is the position I'm in now where I can catch public transport and the (laughs) only times I'm randomly recognised are because people like me, not because they've seen me on I'm a celebrity and a bit of a cunt. Yep. Uh, yep. Whatever it's called, I just. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but, and then people go fuck you, and they never really liked you anyway. the The only time they recognise you is because they know you, yeah. And so therefore they must like what you do, yeah. But the other side is you're known enough to get shit done, yes. Like get yes. shit get made, yep. and I think, and I think the the thing that was kind of interesting to me in this movie was not realizing uh, realizing that I don't know what my dream job is anymore and I wonder if that's because because everything's so splintered mm. I just don't know how to get shit done yeah. I don't know how to get shit made yeah. because at this point in time in the in the Australian entertainment industry mm. I'm emotionally the bad guy to a lot of people because I'm a middle-aged white man, Mm -hmm. but I'm also low enough profile that all the other dudes will get shit made and I can't get shit made, even though... And, like, you know, someone might be listening to this and say, well, that's still a sense of entitlement. But I'm kind of going, 
I've got 27 years of history of making things yeah, yeah. and it still feels like you're so you're you're pitching into the void so therefore your dreams start to crumble because it's like well I know they're the three production companies and they just want to make a quiz show and they just want to make yeah 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 you yeah, know yeah, they yeah, want to yeah, make yeah. a show about someone who grows flowers and you know <laughs> yeah and yeah, that, yeah. And someone who makes fondant on cakes yeah and, and, and i'm a yeah absolutely and it's like i i just i don't know where my tribe is and yeah. so therefore uh, yeah your, your your dream job withers on the vine because it's like well i don't know if yeah. i can get there anymore so now i don't know what it is yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely, uh, I definitely feel that. I think, um, you know, as you know, I've had a lot of different uh, careers and jobs and purposes over the years. You know, and comedy's always been, you know, in the background, but you know, I've never been able to make a career of it, so I've always had to have peripheral stuff. Um, and I think at this stage, it really is for me the dream job or the dream purpose is whatever it is it is the thing that is keeping me in the moment and free of time and my own chattering head. Yeah. And whatever that is, is the thing. So, and, and, you know, that's always what I've sought out of performing or, you know, the best gigs are the ones where you cease to exist. And, you know, they, Mm. they, in, in soul, the, the, you know, they, they conceptualize the idea of the zone. Oh yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is the key for me, just whether it's a career or just life is to be in that place where I'm not full of doubt. Yeah. I'm not obsessed with the past. I'm not worrying about the future. I'm here right now. And, um, you know, that's why I enjoy working with animals. Yeah. Uh, that's why I enjoy hanging out with kids because it's that thing of, you know, we're, we're doing it. We, you know, we're, we're, we're alive and we're right here right yeah. now. And um, I think the toxicity that comes from chasing a dream is, again, back to that idea of, uh, you know, once I get this thing, that'll fucking nail it yeah. and I'll be happy. And I think in Soul, I've never seen it articulated so perfectly and yeah. so profoundly. He gets the gig. He gets that thing that he's been striving for his whole life, and then it's over, and he's just on the subway staring oh. at his reflection. In that. And I'm going to cry just think of talking about it, but it is that thing, yeah. You know, and I'm sure you've experienced that before. I've had it before, yeah. Where I've, you know, it's like, oh my god, I'm performing at the Enmore Theatre in front of two thousand people, and I never thought that this would happen. And oh my god, that I'm killing, and they're all laughing at me. And then bang, it's over, and you're sitting backstage, and it's like, oh, but n- nothing's different, yeah. Like. And and I think it's the realization of no no what 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 mattered was you did it yeah and that was the moment like the moment was what mattered and everything on either side of it is kind of you know irrelevant yeah um, yeah I've never seen it articulated so perfectly before I think uh, I've been lucky enough to perform at the Opera House on yeah. a number of occasions and I try to never take it for granted because. Yeah. I'm a schmuck who talks into a microphone. There's been <laughs> people here with real talent, and I remember. Once after performing there, you know, afterwards I was saying to everyone, what are we doing? And oh, I'm going to go home. I'm really tired. And after having this great gig to 2,000 people at the Opera House, <laughs> I was on Oxford Street eating onion rings. <laughs> <laughs> and your next gig's at a pub in front of four drunk people who couldn't give a shit. So yeah. it's like, you know, it really yeah. brings you back down and some to other work. open micers are looking at you and saying, I thought you were meant to be good. And yeah. Like, Fuck, man, I was killing at the Opera House. <laughs> And we've talked about this before, you know, like we know a lot of very um, famous and successful people and yeah. a lot of them aren't, you know, very happy, fulfilled. No, not at all. 
um, you know, so I think it's, I, I think the in terms of like, what's the dream job, um, you know, I don't know. I think, I, I, I wonder if that's even a, um, a relevant question in 2021. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that, that's not to belittle your question. It's no. It's more just the sense of like, is that even a thing anymore? Right. I don't even know. Feels, it feels like I'm too busy just trying to survive. I have to tell you, this mm. is the day of the inauguration and yeah. seeing that Joe Biden wasn't assassinated has meant that just a little bit I've unclenched and totally, it feels good. Just totally. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, not completely. And knowing that fucking Trump's sitting in Mar-a-Lago right now staring into the dis- middle distance right. like Napoleon when he was castrated and sent to exile. Right. It's fucking wonderful. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. Like, I've got a schadenfreude hard-on at the moment for it, but... Uh... Oh, he, it, it's like a fairy tale fate. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. Just the, 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 the little president who needed all the fucking attention and it's yeah. all been sucked away from him. I really believe he will shrivel up and die in the next few years. Fingers crossed. Fingers fucking crossed. So the, the reason I ask about the dream job is because I think, of course, it speaks to the listlessness of modern times mm. because we also know through experience and the experience of others it is, uh, that often the closer you get to something, the more cracks you find in the facade. Mm. So is it better to therefore always be striving and never quite reach your so-called ultimate job or am I just a depressing middle-aged cynic who should get <laughs> on the happy pills? Actually, you know what? I think dream job, just back, yeah, I think the striving, and maybe this is the answer to both questions. I think the dream job is one that there is no final attainment of a goal. There is a right. constant kind of like leveling up. So you get yep. to the place and then there's a new challenge or, yes. you know, whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I think the always striving is the thing, yeah. you know, um, always playing, always improvising. I guess if you're not always striving, that means you plateau as well. Yeah. I think my stand-up's not as good as it used to be because the constant striving over the years, you get to a point where you're exhausted. And uh, I think I have moments of getting back to it, but it's it's much more difficult to uh, obtain, mainly because it's hard work Mm. and I'm not striving. For anymore. Once upon a time, there was the ideal. Mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this art form as pure as possible for me. Yeah. I'm not saying what I'm doing has to be pure for anyone else, yeah. but I'm gonna find a purity in what I'm doing. Sure. And then, you know, you have other interests and you see other things, and then you realise, uh, you know, well, I, I, as you said, I've had those moments on stage where, yeah, like everything is magical. Yeah. Like, you're just so in the moment. Someone someone says something innocuous over here and then you rattle off seven minutes of hilarity. And yeah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah. And trying to even want to get back to that mm. is... Uh, well, I mean, I mean, are, are you trying to, you know, it's a, it, it comes down to, like, are you trying to prove something to the audience and your peers or are you trying to prove something to yourself yeah and i and i think the uh I, I think trying to prove it to yourself and then when you go well i think there's other things that i like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh all my favorite stuff is the stuff that is um uh not not mainstream yeah, of <laughs> you course. know and as yeah. you, you and uh yeah it's it's a it's an the always striving and trying to find the way to essentially from my perspective tell a story and tell it in a way that is inventive and and that it you know clicks in some level is something that i i really still don't feel like i've gotten close to 
Yeah. But I don't know if stand-up is... That's what it is. I don't know if stand-up is the vehicle that I should be driving for it anymore. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that with stand I mean, you know, but stand-up has... Stand-up is... Uh, you know, we've talked about this a lot. You know, stand-up used to be kind of a uh, grubby, fringe, punk rock thing. Yeah. And I, you know, over the last, uh, whatever, decade, however, whatever number you want to attach to it, with the Netflixification of everything, it has been amalgamated into the entertainment industry. Yeah. And so... Um, it's become a polished product that has a sense of a set of expectations connected to it that maybe it didn't when uh, you know you were coming up and I was coming up yeah. and that kind of stuff. And so again, it comes to that thing of like, are, are we even playing the game that we started with anymore? Yeah. And the and and the whole landscape of the game has changed so much that I don't necessarily want to play that game. Yeah. You know. Uh, the, 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 the reality with stand-up now is... I mean, there's a few that can get away with it. Uh, you know, Daniel Kitson doesn't have to self-promote. Yeah. Sam Campbell doesn't have Facebook or Twitter. But they're the rare exceptions. Yeah. For the most part, it's now about being a 24-hour brand. Yeah. And that is antithetical to every way I want to live my life. I'm trying to get out of my own way. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to get out of my own... Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to kill my ego. I'm trying to, you know, be in the moment. And uh, that is not checking your Twitter feed every five seconds to see how many retweets you got is not conducive to getting out of your own way. Yes. Uh, and I, I, I can't play. I can't. I just can't. Yeah. And it doesn't bring me the, the joy. It, it, it actively makes me anxious and it yes. actively outsourcing my sense of self and my sense of confidence to a faceless uh, horde on the internet that might not even be real. Um, it, yeah, it, it's the opposite of Zen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I wonder, you know, this movie has jazz and he's a jazz musician yeah. and it's infused throughout. And there was a point where, so I've, I don't know if I'm correct in saying this, mm. but from my perspective, and I'm more than, ha- you know what I'm like, I'm happy to be told that I'm incorrect about this. There's only one thing that, there's there's only a few things that yeah. I will not be told that I'm wrong about. I'll always love David Bowie, I'll always love Christopher Nolan, and I will never love Shape of Water. The, <laughs> um, But, you know, jazz was the predominant art form in in America and it kept evolving and yeah. there was innovation, etc. Yeah. And then that was it. Yeah. And like, like, there's still good jazz. I'm not saying there isn't still amazing jazz made, you know, someone like Kamasai Washington and all that kind of stuff. But the innovation gets to a point where it can't go any further. And I feel like we've seen that potentially with rock and roll. Like rock and roll is now, it's gone as far as it can go. And I wonder if that's what's happened to stand-up. Yes. Yes. Like like even, because you could say, well, what about someone doing something that's off the wall? Yeah. But there's been decades of off-the-wall stand-up as well, and isn't that kind of... It's not saying it isn't good. It's not even saying it isn't brilliant. But we've... It's a variation on something that's already been innovated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Look, I think that's why you know, I, I mean, obviously, apart from the subject material and that it arrived at exactly the right moment that it arrived, but I do think the reason, one of the reasons that Nanette was as made such an impact was yeah. because it shook the form up a bit yes you know it, yes you know it, and, and i've been saying this for years why do we all need to be braying like fucking mules for an hour and a half <laughs> why can't you sit there for five minutes and feel a bit 
anxious and uncomfortable. I mean, you know, we watched Lost Highway together the other night. (laughs) And, you know, feeling like you want to puke and feeling anxious for two hours is a valid reaction to a piece of art. Like, uh, you know, and unless you're kind of... Uh, challenging the audience and getting different emotional, you know, reactions out of them and, and all of these kind of things, then, of course, the, the art form is going to hit a dead end at some point. Yes. I mean, look, I believe all art forms and all franchises and all even fictional characters have a lifespan. Yes. Um, and, you know, we now live in this age where everything needs to fucking go on forever and ever and ever and have every last drop of fucking nostalgia wrung out of it. Yes. Um, and I don't think that that actually pays respect to the fact that things have their day. Yes. And maybe... Uh, may, I, I, I do believe comedy is... Comedy in its current form has hit a... A point where it's like, well, where, where does it go from here? Yes, you know, I and I, I often wonder, uh, you know, where, especially post Trump, comedy has to change now. I mean, right. comedy, you know, well, well, it's had four years of being able to uh, lean on, and I put this in inverted comment uh, commas uh, satire. Yeah, uh, but essentially, it's just been making fun of something that was so over the top in its yeah, approach. Yeah, yeah. That satire was. Hard to make unique and clever. The, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the only person that successfully did it was Colbert. Yes. And that was because it was coming from Whew. a place of true passion and heartbreak. And and it was a mission. Yeah, it was like, a mission. It was like, I'm fascinated to know, you know, I'm fascinated to know where Colbert goes from here. Well, I, 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 I kind of feel like Colbert... In terms of relevance, it, it will dip. I'm not saying he won't still be brilliant and all of it, but... You know, if you had to, if you had to time capsule one piece of art or entertainment that fully encapsulates the period that we've just gone through, it's the Colbert monologues over the last four or five years. It it, it just, I think. Do you watch uh, John Oliver? Yeah, I watch John Oliver, but for me, John Oliver is a not as just brilliant. Like Colbert, over those four years, I would watch with a sense of utter awe where it's like you are what the fuck even are you you are i mean first of all you're this triple threat you know there's nothing you can't do you sing you dance you're hilarious you know often his ad libs when a joke wouldn't work were so much funnier than anything you know and it was just night after night after night and you could see the heart of the man coming through you could see it's like you're a good man yeah and you are horrified and outraged and all of that's coming through there was a passion there you know and and, and conversely you would see people like jimmy fallon just die and eat shit because it's yeah. like you don't you you're not real you're a yeah. you're a cardboard cut out of a talk show host and you are not the man for this time yeah um and you know and you look at what's happened to just consensus reality now and you know the joke for many years was oh reality's become the simpsons no it's not reality's become south park yeah. The distinction between satire and reality now is, you know, you Rudy Giuliani's fucking hair dye was literally running down his face as he's ranting out the front of a fucking porno bookstore that he thought was the Four Seasons lobby. Amazing. I mean, you know what I mean? If you saw if you saw that on South Park 10 years ago, you'd be like, ha, 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 now it's real. Where yeah. does comedy go? Like, you know, from here. Yeah. And does it become kinder? Does it become more thoughtful? Or is it a whole new branch? I mean... Tim and Eric is naff now. Yeah. You know, when Tim and Eric came out, it was so transgressive and brilliant. Now, ads for toothpaste commercials look like Tim and Eric sketches. Yeah. So, the the, the art form has to evolve. It has to change just to remain 
relevant, relevant or even be comedy, considered comedy anymore. Always makes me think of, uh, you know, a movie I've wanted to go back to, which I haven't seen in like a couple of decades, but the, remember Bob Roberts? With uh, which Tim, is Tim Robbins? Yeah, Tim Robbins. And yeah, he's yeah, playing yeah. the politician, and someone says to him, um, which at the time was a really funny moment. I think it was even in the trailer. Yeah. But someone says to him, oh, "I wish I could vote for you twice," and he says, "You can." <laughs> and then, ah, oh, just kidding. And but now you go, yeah, man. Geez, that is well, that the is... Ukrainian president before he became the president literally did a sitcom about a comedian who became yeah. the president of Ukraine. Yeah. I mean, like we are really through the looking glass here, and I really believe, like, since nine eleven. You know, you, you think about the technology that's coming up, all of it. We are becoming more and more in line with the fiction that you and I grew up with than yeah. any kind of thing that resembles a reality. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, 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 and now that all this stuff is normalized, I mean, what happened? Do we go back? Do we go back to... You can't go I don't back. think we can go back. You, you, once you know, you can't go back. Yeah. That's part of what we're talking about with the idea of what's your dream job. We've been close to our dream jobs mm. in... in one form or another and we've seen the people behind the scenes and we've heard the mm. things that have said and we've seen the things that are rewarded mm-hmm. and we've seen the way people have been treated mm-hmm. and it's hard to keep going for that ideal when you know the reality totally totally and when you realize you know like uh th- and that's the other thing about dreams <laughs> especially dream jobs you know there's, there's, there's a there's an element of naivete that yeah, you know, is necessary to hold on to a dream. Yeah. Uh, you know, so when you're a kid and you're like, oh, I'd love to get into the entertainment industry and do this and this and this. And then you start, you know, when, you, when you're kind of on the edges of it or when you slightly dip your toe into it. You know, I remember my first uh, Melbourne Festival, you know, I went in completely night. I mean, I didn't even know what Comedy Zone was. Right, <laughs> Like, I right. had to ring people. I got it. Yeah. I got the call, you're in Comedy Zone. I was like, what's Comedy Zone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no idea. You know, I just want to. I just want to yell at people and be yeah. funny. I don't know what that is. Uh, you know, and then you know, you realize. Look, I'm sure there's some people that get through it without selling parts of themselves and without compromising. But in the main, it really seems like you must start to. And I'm not saying I'm against compromise. All life is compromise. Yeah. But I've seen people do things and say things over the years that. I know are so against their ethics and so against their soul and so against the morality and it's a fucking slippery slope. And I think that puts a pin in the idea of the dream job because how do you do the dream job and still maintain your integrity, your soul, your heart? I I read that letter that Anthony Hopkins sent to Brian Cranston about how much he admired his performance in Breaking Bad. Oh, right. And one of the first lines is this, yeah, like, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like basically saying this fucked toxic industry where nothing, you can't believe anyone, in, 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 you know, and so that's coming from Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I think that really puts the kibosh on a lot of those kind of fantasies that you have. Yeah. Um, sorry, did just... And, w- and then how, and how do you continue life? Yeah, of course. Oh, what? Do I just, you know, because you, you don't want to be bitter and you don't want to be cynical and yeah, you don't yeah, want to yeah. be angry and you don't want to be these things and you still want to keep striving, but yeah. you know shit. Yeah, you know shit. And, 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 and on top of that, you don't want to wake up one day this, you know, deformed version of yourself that you don't even know who you are anymore. Yeah. You don't even know where what your morality is, you know, yeah. where you stand, you know. Um, d- 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 sorry, just to backtrack a second, uh, just on that South Park thing and just the, uh, the evolution of where comedy goes. Uh, you know, when the Trump thing started, um, 
season 20 of South Park is very famous for just being appalling. It's, it's terrible. Right. Because they really didn't expect Trump to win. Yeah. And then halfway through, Trump won. Well, and they didn't know what to do. Yeah, I, I think I've heard an interview with them yeah. where they had to completely rewrite and put yeah. together a show because they were, they were really tempted to put up Twenty minutes of static. Yeah, like, yeah that was a yeah. choice. Yeah, yeah that absolutely. Was on the board. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and that's the first time I've ever heard them express doubt about their own yeah. abilities as satirists and comedians. Going, this is so beyond the pale. Yeah. How do we do it? And then the next season, twenty one, is one of the greatest seasons ever because every episode is them reassessing their legacy. Yeah, and going back to episodes from ten years, you know, because they were massive global warming deniers. Yeah, uh, and so you know they go back and they're like, "We were wrong." Yeah, and it's so funny, and yeah. it's because they're vulnerable and they're you know admitting fallibility. And I think you know they're such a great example of how to evolve and change with the times. Um, but I don't see that happening on a wider scale. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I think everyone's very locked into their brand. Yeah, and uh, well, it's. Uh you know, we'll get back to Soul in a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> I still I have heaps to talk about with it as well. Mm. But, um, you know, it was the anniversary, five-year anniversary of Bowie's death recently. Oh. And, uh, you know, there's an, the era of Bowie that I'm fascinated with is his 90s output, which is often, at the time, I remember quite uh, vividly, mm people just shitting on it. Mm. What the fuck is... People really embarrassed. You know, it was interesting. I was seeing all this stuff that Caitlin Moran, the journalist, was writing, which was all really lovely about, you know, his impact and that. And I was like, wait a second, flick through a book. When, and she, you know, in the 90s was going, he's, he's yet embarrassing dad. Look at his hair, like, getting up there and, you know, oh. And he made... And I find that era fascinating because he made some choices that when you think about it are fucking terrifying. Like one is the guy who was known for Let's Dance and China Girl and that goes on tour with Nine Inch Nails as support and he says to Trent Reznor, oh, we are in, my band's in trouble because you guys are fucking amazing Mm. and you guys are tight, but this is what I want to do. And sometimes they would do, you know, Nine Inch Nails would open and then Bowie would come on and do... They'd, they'd do a, a, a Nine Inch Nails song and a Bowie song and they'd alternate yeah. until Nine Inch Nails were gone and it was Bowie's band. And half the audience would leave or people would throw shit at him. Like, he was getting he was getting bottles thrown at him and stuff like that because because there's kids there going, what's going on with fucking Grandad? And there's other fans there going, why is he not singing Blue Jean? And he's up there singing, you know, these kind of Scott Walker-esque... Uh, industrial songs like The Voyeur of Utter Destruction yeah, and yeah, As Beauty, yeah. which, you know, like there's humour to it as well, but it's he's playing this part. Yeah. But that, all those decisions he made, which he could make because he was super rich, you know, as well. Like, yeah. let's not forget that he already had a, it's much harder to make these uh, choices when you don't have the safety net of money and that. But it doesn't mean he still didn't have stuff on the line of course and all those decisions he made and doing that and that was a few years of just being treated like an arsehole and mm. people being embarrassed by him mm. all leads to 2000 when he does Glastonbury and he does bring out all the hits and everyone goes oh how great is David Bowie and yeah. then suddenly he's back in vogue because he was willing to artistically yeah. fucking 
take it on the chin. Yeah, yeah. Like, can you imagine being David Bowie after everything you've done? You've got shit being thrown at you yeah, yeah, yeah. because you're not Nine Inch Nails, yeah, who yeah. you've asked to do your support yeah. for you, knowing full well this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, there's, that's inspiring. There's, yeah, a, there's yeah, a bravery yeah, yeah. to that. And you, you try to apply it to yourself, you know, especially sometimes. Like, you don't want to... Trying to find the balance of being a professional and artistically... Yeah pushing yourself yeah. is always going to be a tricky balance, but it's yeah. it's worthwhile aspiring to. Totally, totally. But, you know, it's it's a very hard thing to disconnect from. Again, that goes back to the ego of like, you know, are you doing it for you or are you doing it for them? Right. Uh, you know, which, and you and know. You, you can do both. You can do both. But. Yeah. But you've got to be, you know, you've got to be prepared to fucking cop it. Yeah. You've got to be prepared to have people pegging bottles at your head. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know if I am. So, uh, so I have to tell you, uh, in case you're wondering, this is a podcast about the Pixar movie Soul. <laughs> and uh, I've only seen it once and I really loved it. But mm. I've got some questions for you and you've seen it more than me. So yeah. any questions that I throw your way, even if they're sad, they are genuine No, questions. please. I'm dying to talk about because not, so, not many people have seen it and I've been wanting to talk. So my initial reaction to this movie is that it's upper echelon Pixar in <laughs> presentation. Like the animation. Like, holy shit. So beautiful. Uh, and the ambition but I'm wondering if one of the messages of the movie, which is essentially take time to stop and smell the flowers, mm. or in this case, the beauty of a fluttering leaf, mm. is a tad simplistic. And it's the type of message that you now see at the bottom of Instagram posts where barely clad people are showing off their hardened bodies on a beach <laughs> with a thousand different <laughs> hashtags. And is there still beauty in a message that can be found in a fortune cookie? Yes, 100%. Because okay, the message next question. Is, no, 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 because the, me, the message, I don't, I don't care how much a message is co-opted by Instagram influencers yep. because the very fact that they're posting it on Instagram is an empty platitude. It means nothing because uh, the, it, it goes back to that whole thing we were saying before about having to be a 24-hour brand. Uh, it is antithetical to the very notion of stopping to smell the flowers. Right. If you're stopping to smell the flowers and then whipping out your fucking iPhone to photograph the flower, you have not fucking smelt the flower. Yeah. It's not a bet. You can't take it with you. Yeah. Don't... It's your- don't- Photograph the flower. That's right. Smell the flower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, take the. You know, I, I, I go to. I mean, obviously not last year, but I go to Dark Mofo every year, uh, and which is a, you know, real. Can you explain for anyone? Well, Dark, Dark Mofo. So um, there's this mad uh, genius, uh, David Walsh, who uh, opened an art. He's a, a professional gambler, made millions of dollars counting cards, playing poker, and opened one of the greatest art galleries in the world called Mona. Uh, in Tasmania and uh, many of the themes of Mona are death and sex and flame and you know very primal stuff yeah. uh, and he uh, him and I can't remember the other guy but the two of them um, run a festival called Dark Mofo every yeah. winter I believe it is June or July in Tasmania and it is um, it's very hard to describe I have my own very personal kind of almost spiritual relationship with this festival because it's um it is designed to challenge people uh, and it's I believe designed to uh, create a sense of awe genuine awe where you can't quite deal with what you're seeing uh, and uh Obviously, the first year I went there, I was because I, I go crazy when I see people ta- uh, p- taking photos of anything, but especially when there's things that are designed to incite awe. Uh, and so, one of the first things I ever saw at Dark Mofo was a bonfire made out of fifteen. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Pine trees, full-size pine trees, all constructed in a teepee, and underneath it was just an impossible amount of wood, and it was all on fire, and it was... I mean, this is like primal caveman shit that they're trying to get out of you and this thing is on fire (laughs) the biggest fire i've ever seen and mushroom clouds of embers and at one point one of the logs collapses in half and and i was just glued to the spot like having this complete transcendental experience and of course i look around and everyone no one's engaged with it they're all instering it and fucking yeah putting it on i was here check uh hashtag wellness yeah 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 um and you know i really had to have a moment where i was like you need to reconcile yourself with this because this is what it's going to be yeah you are going to be surrounded and there's going to be one in a hundred people that are not photographing it and actually just engaging with it and maybe the people photographing it is all part of the whole thing you know the the setting the 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 parameters in place and releasing people into this playground and part of the art space the the art is how everyone's reacting to it Mm. um and so i had to assimilate that stuff um uh sorry i've completely gone off track what about what were we talking about so you were talking about dark mofo and you were explaining it I'm not quite certain <laughs> you got to the point where you were... Uh, oh, stopping and smelling the flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I know, like, th- th- that's something that's very much touted, you know. Uh, but I think Soul articulated it in a way... I, I, I actually... I, I don't even really know at this stage. I've seen the film three times, and I still can't necessarily even get my head around why it is so resonant. But that mo- <laughs> That moment where... Uh, he's sitting in the doorway and he sees the little girl being uh, holding the hand of the dad and yeah. jumping up and it's just these grabs that are so true. Right. True in the way... Have you ever seen the Terrence Malick film Tree of Life? Yeah. They do the montage of childhood and it's not even set to any kind of real narrative structure. It's just these grabs of, yeah. of memory. You know, like a kid running through the sheets on the washing line yep. and a blade of grass with a dew drop on it. And and clearly, you know, uh, the, these were images that were in my brain from my childhood, but yeah. all of a sudden they're on the screen. And so it's that moment of recognition of like, this isn't personal, this is universal. Yeah. And I had a very similar reaction to that movie. I just lost my mind, you know, just this articulation of something that seems inarticulatable. Yeah. Um, and I think 
that message is the truest message of being alive and the fact that it has been co-opted by the internet and by social media which is again completely antithetical to that entire mode is uh, yeah you can put that message in a fortune cookie but it doesn't mean anything in a fortune cookie or it doesn't mean anything on an instagram post you have to be in it you have to really yeah. feel it and i think it transcends language i i, I don't you know it's like that whole, be yourself. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, what yeah. does that even mean? Yeah. Or get into the flow of something. Yeah. Well, you, if you're aware that you're in the flow, you're not in the flow. Yeah. And if, you know... The, be yourself. So I've become mildly obsessed on Instagram, which I've always, as, as far as social media goes, I always liked Instagram the most because it's kind of... I, I like trying to put pictures mm. and, you know, I think there's... I think a lot of people, I'm, I'm not unique in this but a lot of people at some point when they were younger had a camera and took a half decent photo and went oh maybe i could be a photographer yeah yeah, you you kind of hold on to that a little bit i like the idea of composition but the thing that i've become addicted to at the start of this year is i get on to a, a part of it where you just look at people in not much you know, in bikinis or guys in bathers or that, and I'm obsessed with what they write underneath. <laughs> and my favourite one is be yourself. And you look yeah, and you go, you. you look like 17 people that I've just flicked through who yeah. are all telling me to, yeah. well, maybe I should put up a photo of me in a bikini. Yeah. <laughs> make a lot of people sad, might make a lot of people laugh as well. But it's just, and then... But, Be a version of yourself that is socially acceptable. There was a poster in Newtown <laughs> years ago where it was like, Newtown, where you can be yourself. And it was a picture of like a guy in a steampunk clothes and a girl as like a yeah, pinup yeah. girl. And it's like, yeah, you can be yourself as long as it fits into these 15 yeah. categories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, the, but the, the Stop and Smell the Roses, I think that the thing about it is, and I think uh, uh, the more I think about it, I think what this film does and maybe i'm obviously i'm projecting because it's never articulated specifically but the thing about stopping and smelling the roses is it's about you not being you and your ego not being in the mix yes stopping and smelling the roses is not oh i am stopping and smelling the roses oh yes you know it's like i i am not thinking about this and i'm just experiencing you know i used to it took me a long time to get to this. I used to fucking go to the beach and like stare at the ocean and like, I need to feel calm. I need to feel something. And it's like, get out of your fucking way, cunt. You know, or like, you know, I'd stare at the clouds and I was like, why doesn't the cloud look like a castle? Why doesn't the cloud look like a crocodile? And it's like, you know what? It looks like a cloud. And that's fine. It's okay. It's beautiful. It yeah. looks like a fucking cumulus cloud. It's great. Oh, man. <laughs> I have, for some reason, so I have to tell you that uh, I was just, sometimes when I'm working on things and I need to, and I'm going from one project to the next, I need to clear my head just for a few minutes with anything, mm. anything that's neither of the uh, things I'm going to work on. And so I pulled out my collection of Calvin and Hobbes mm. and I was flicking through the, the first five mm. ever and they're, they're great, yeah. like really funny. Yeah. Like one of those moments where Calvin's turning around to Hobbes in school saying seven plus three and Hobbes is leaning up going 73. Uh, <laughs> still really funny. But anyway, I just saw you as Calvin yelling at the ocean to be calm. Yeah. And it's... Uh, um, so, I was, oh, by the way, I was surprised that this was the first Pixar movie with an African-American lead. Yeah. I don't know why I was surprised by that. I just kind of, I, I think I live in a, it was, it was when I saw, I, when I worked on uh, 
a TV show yeah. about movies yeah. where a lot of the people there had never seen movies. Yeah, and yeah, don't be like best. that, Hammer. Just get on with the story. Yeah, and then right. I went and saw... <laughs> smell the roses. Uh, yeah, I'm smelling them. <laughs> and they smell like fucking shit because it's uh, Channel 10. Anyway, <laughs> so I went and saw Black Panther yeah. in the preview and yeah. I turned around and I said, that is going to be massive. Yeah. And everyone looked at me and went, oh, I don't know, I thought it was all right. I said, yeah. no, 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 no. That A, that was really good. B... Yeah. I know it's in the mould of a Marvel movie, but yeah. it's doing a lot more yeah. than you realise. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked about this before, but mm. it was the story where I heard when Seinfeld and Kevin Hart were touring around America and all those newspapers were saying, when's Kevin Hart going to cross over? And Seinfeld was selling out 4,000 seaters and Kevin Hart was selling out 20,000 seaters. And, and I, I had that in the back of my head. And it's like, oh, there's an audience out here for this. And then, boom, it takes... Oh, totally. So I just kind of figured there must have been... No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was surprised. Well, but, but the fact that it leans, it's not just an African-American lead. It's, you know, it's a celebration of African-American yeah, culture I've got some and, and relationships and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's that white thing of like, you know, all minorities. It's like, uh, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's look at the world demographics. Yeah. It's actually white people that are minority, please. Yeah. <laughs> let's stop, exactly. Let's, let's stop applying that term to yeah. other people. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yes. All right. Uh, so Jamie Foxx does a great job in portraying Joe. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder what you think of our protagonist. Uh, I asked specifically since he's a guy who works with kids but also has another, another artistic job outside of his day job and I wondered if you could relate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the reverse of him. I like my day job better than my um, than yeah, my other stuff. Right. Um, no, I again, it's that I think... Uh, I think me and I think you and I think a lot of people we know can really relate to that mm. and not necessarily in a good way. You know, there's that great moment where uh, Sol, the uh, 22, um, he's saying, you know, why do you sound like a middle-aged white woman? And she's like, because it, it's the most annoying voice I could, yeah. that I could take on. I mean, I could sound like you if I wanted to. And she turns into him and he's like, wah, where's the ambulance? And that was the moment where I was like, God, that's, ev- that's me. That's everyone I fucking know. Just yeah. this. And I think... The performance that he... <laughs> ma- I, I related to oh, that oh, as well. It's like, perfect. Oh, no, it's the worst aspects of me yeah, yeah, in yeah. a Pixar movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the, the performance is so brilliant because he is so fucking annoying. And, so you know, like, well, that, I mean, that sums it up. Just this, oh, i got to get the gig, i got to get the gig. Just this, like, monomaniacal focus. And somehow within that, he's still likeable. Mm. You still completely relate to him. I mean, I, I really don't believe this is... A, Obviously, this is a movie that kids can watch. It is not a movie made for kids. This uh, is not a this is not a um, theme or a moral that a child could even come close to understanding. Right. Um, that was uh, two questions ahead. Yeah, I have yeah. something about that as sure. well, which relates to that. But I, th- uh, I think sorry he, I think his performance is so. Uh, again, so much of this movie, and again, I've seen it three times, and I, and I still have such a hard time articulating it which is unusual uh, when I've seen a movie that many times, but it captures the, the desperation and the grief and the loss of a life that you believe you have not lived mm. as well as you could have. And that realisation of like tick-tock, 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 mm. you know, that, that franticness that he has right at the beginning of the movie where he's heading into the great beyond and he's like, mm. no, 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 I'm not dying, not today, not today. You know, God, which of us haven't related to that? You know, that feeling of it's it, time's running out, and I yeah. don't know that I'm going to get what I thought I was going to get out of this life. Oh yeah, I completely feel. Which that. again, 
it means that the, the, the whole smell the roses or, you know, the, the little moments are what's important. That, you know, the, the profundity of that is so huge. Yeah. You know, it was never about, you know, I love that moment where the, whatever that the fourth dimensional being that manifests as a Picasso yeah. painting, you know, uh, right at the end where he's like, oh, you and your mentors with your meanings of life and your purposes, how basic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Speaking of the great beyond, if you found yourself on that conveyor belt, would you have turned around or would you have given yourself over to it completely? Let's fucking go. To be honest, it looked pretty calm. It's great. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Hum, give me that. I mean, I've experienced complete ego annihilation and soul death and it was fucking great. Right. Never been more at peace. Right. (laughs) So you've gigged in Brisbane then? Yep. The... uh, (laughs) Sorry, that was a real cheap joke, but I just... Anyway, sometimes you've got to throw some cheap jokes in to even out all the profundity that's going on. But I thought that was a very a very um, beautiful depiction of death, because clearly, you know, when they fizz out as they yeah. go into that thing, they're clearly gone. Yeah. They're not going to heaven to no. exist as themselves forever. They're fucking... They cease to exist. Well, that's interesting, because I... So my question was going to be, A, is it potentially scary for kids to look at the great beyond and see it as something like that but Mm. also i think like that's how i saw it but i think it's also done in a abstract way that you could if you wanted if you looked at the world differently you could go oh and then they went to heaven or they they are ascending yes it is is an incline up so yeah yeah, you could see it like that i've talked about it with this movie with a lot of kids and all of them unequivocally love it they actually love it more than they like inside out Right. Which I believe is I, I believe soul is the conceptual sequel to yep. inside. Inside out is the kid experience and the soul is the adult experience and the same director. Yep. Um yeah, I of all the kids I've spoken to about this, none of them have expressed any kind of anxiety about it. They all thought it was really, really beautiful. Yeah. And in fact, to my surprise, the bits that they said were their favourites were the bits, you know, like the the seed falling out of the sky. Right. You know, the, the really profound moments that I thought would go straight over their heads um, seem to really resonate with them. That's good. That yeah. makes me very happy to hear, yeah. actually. Um, so, I love the look of the great before. Yeah. And the, and especially the comedy it provided as well. Yeah. Um, I wonder about the idea of determinism that rules the place. Having a soul pre-packed with traits and passions seems to discount the fact that our personalities are also heavily influenced by our environment. And doesn't the great before suggest we're in some way pre-programmed and therefore can't hope to escape our overall fate? And how do you feel about that? Uh, Or do you even agree with that? I do agree with that. I do. I don't believe we have any kind of free will. You don't? Not really, no. I think... uh you know, I don't. I, I don't think that we're little bundles of soul that have given personality traits and then spat out into the world. No, but no. I think between our influences that are put in our head in the first ten years of our life, our genetics, our you know media influences, and everything, I do wonder by the time you are a certain age how much of your personality or your decision making is truly yours and not. You know, I, I I'm not saying that we're you know, our lives are predetermined. Right. In terms of, you know, well, the, our career and all that. Well, that's kind of what that animation is suggesting as well. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, uh, that's kind of where I had a slight issue with it because it's like, because that's what I'm saying. You are a part of where you're brought up. Like, if, you know, if we were brought up 
in different circumstances, yes. whether they were financial or whatever, yep. we'd be different versions of each other right at this point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but I, I think there would be a core of yourself that would be the same. You know, like uh, I, uh, you know, I think I've told you this story before. You know, I, uh, I didn't know my dad and had a couple of uh, communications with him when I was in my mid-30s. And, you know, I grew up as the black sheep of the family with very specific tastes in music and film and books and always very much identified myself as by the things that I loved. You know, I'm me because I love yep. this and this and this. And then uh, found out at the age of 35 that, no, that's all him. Right. Like, and we'd never met. Right. And, and, and I'm talking like specificity that is frightening. Right. You know, down to I have an irrational fear of wet gears. <laughs> that's a very strange fear that mechanics really freak, like old school mechanics make me feel very on oh. edge. I don't know why. Yeah. Okay. Like I'm talking like cogs and yeah, yeah, rotating yeah. things and dripping and like, ugh. and same thing. He has that. So it's like, well, you know, and it was this real existential moment of like, what are we? Like, are we, you know, you know, you pride yourself, well, not pride yourself, but you identify as I'm, I'm me because of this. And it's like, did you even have a choice? Mm. Or was that just all in there? You know, I, I you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge Zappa fan anymore, but you know, I was massively into Zappa, massively into Philip Glass. Those are two, I mean, less so Zappa, but Philip Glass is pretty, you know, it's, a, it's, it's niche. Absolutely. Uh, his favourite musician is Philip Glass, and he loves Frank Zappa. His favourite author is Alan Moore. Like, it's it's spooky. Yeah. And, you know, and I think between that, your genetics, epigenetics, cultural trauma, mm. all of that stuff, I do, I don't necessarily believe in free will. That's not to say that I don't think you can wrench yourself out of certain patterns and change, but, you know... Uh, and then you know we're very interested in the idea of or the concept of all time existing as a solid object and yes. all moments existing simultaneously well if that's true you've already done everything so you don't have any choice you're just going through the motions but you're still making the decisions yeah i mean but does it bother you the idea that you don't have free will does that uh, like is that because I, I know people that that they can't bear that idea i don't particularly like it because it suggests to me that there is an inability to improve. Sure. And I think that's really the only thing. When when you boil everything down, the only thing you can actually do your best on an everyday uh, experience is to improve. Sure. In, in whatever way. Yeah. Whether it's how you do the dishes, how you or to how you treat people, yeah. or to when you know something is making you feel a little bit on edge and knowing how to... Yeah. So, I would hate to think that I, I can't do that because I'm just locked in to this thing. But I believe that the inclination to want to change is the predetermined thing. Right. Because I know lots of people who will not change and are determined not to change. And in that sense, they have no free will. Right. Like, there's a person in my life where it's like... <laughs> <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Uh, uh, they are locked into a way of being that serves them not at all, mm. and actively and host will, with hostility reject the very notion that they could 
change any of that. And so in that sense, I look at that person, I'm like, you have no free will. Right. You, are, you are an automaton, completely dictated by past trauma, genetics, all of these things. So maybe it comes down to the individual. Yeah. Maybe some people have no free will and other people do have free will. I don't yeah. have no idea. I never really thought about maybe my free will. Maybe I don't have any free will. And the thing that is my determinism is my determine, determination to try and change. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's a pre-programmed thing that's in you. You know, because I know that, I mean, I know that the person that I was, and this is true of everyone, but, you know, I've, I've definitely spent the last 10 to 15 years of my life actively trying to deprogram yes. extremely toxic traits. You know, when you first met me, I had insane anger issues and would pop off in the middle of the street screaming and frothing, you know, and I tell people that now that have known me for only for a couple of years and they can't even imagine it. Um, like you, you know, you seem like you get fired up, but you seem pretty calm most of the time. It's like, no, not, not then. But you know, I wonder like, was I always just destined to want to change those things Mm. or the illusion that I want, uh, you know, um, or was I actively, you know, using brain plasticity and changing how I approach things? I, I, I don't know. My, 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 again, we can never know, but my instinct is that I think we're on predetermined tracks. Right. Um, which I know makes people very uncomfortable, but for me, it doesn't make me uncomfortable at all. Right. Um, but that's because I'm generally relatively happy in my own head. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, make, makes a change. Uh, the Therapy Cat provides much entertainment. Yes. Uh, and uh, I've seen a bit of pushback on the, the, the stuff about the cat that's with uh, something. I can't relate to this and I don't really understand it and as i said i only watched the movie yeah. a couple of days ago but i think there is a little bit of pushback in the african-american community to have a black man not be in charge of his own body and I, be... yeah i've heard that criticism sure so i understand that i understand that technically yes but for me the reason he's in the cat is because it's literally allowing our hero to view himself yes. from a different perspective yes so to bring some levity to this, if you had to enter an animal's body to view your life, which animal would you choose? <laughs> it's got to be a dog, right? A dog? It's got to be a dog. I wonder if I'd be a bird. Yeah? Yeah, because then you'd be able to... Literally from, hover above yourself. Yeah, and look from lots of different angles. Like a dog, <laughs> like, you know, you're kind of stuck looking up, and but from a bird you can kind of get down, look yeah, up, yeah, and... Yeah be behind and you can be unobtrusive while a conversation is going on. You can sit underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I'd, I'd I'd almost like to be a sparrow. You know, the ones that just like, (laughs) yep, just pop around. You know, I love them as well because when you look at the, have you ever been like in a food court and you're eating and you look down and someone's left their food and the sparrow's always there eating someone's Dried rice looking at gun. This is all right, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I know I'm probably anthropomorphizing, but sparrows look like they're having the time of their <laughs> yeah, lives. Yeah. Look they me. look very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I think the cat thing, you know, look, I, I mean, I can't speak to it because I'm not African-American and I, you know, I understand that there's a whole history of, um, you know, that trope. Uh, but I don't, look, from, again, can't speak to it. But from my perspective, I don't think it's a sinister thing. And I think that the cat thing also... Let's remember, it is an animated film, ostensibly made for children. I don't believe it is made for children. I do believe it's made for adults. But I do believe the cat scenario is in there yeah. for the kid audience as well. Yeah. You know, like the wacky... And, and my God, talk about a fucking left turn, right? 
Oh, it's a yeah. hardcore yeah, left turn. Yeah. I, and I remember the first time I watched it, I had about 30 seconds of, ooh, I don't know, yeah. I don't know. I was really enjoying being in the great before and I the, the lost how- zone and all that stuff. And suddenly he's in a cat and is this going to work? And then, you know, I think one of the most, <laughs> yeah, I think one of the most beautiful sequences of the film is uh, after he leaves, I think it's after he leaves the, his mother's, or maybe before, whatever. It, it's when they're walking down the street and she's, in the body and, she, mm. you know, she's lying on the grate and like, oh, this feels nice. Yeah. And, you know, and eating the pizza and all, yeah. you know, and that beautiful moment in the subway where she's looking at the busker and, yeah. you know, suddenly the lighting goes very orange and red. Yeah. And it's just, um, it's very, very beautiful. Yeah. Very beautiful. Uh, we also have The Zone, a place where one can lose themselves inside of their art. We've already mm. talked about this a little bit. Mm. Uh, there's also a warning about The Zone, that is, uh, if you become addicted to this place and it becomes your only focus, you can become lost yep. and a metaphorical monster, mm-hmm. or in this, a literal monster. Yep. Uh, have you ever been... You, you've been to The Zone. We've already <laughs> talked about this. been in the moment on stage. Yeah. And uh, I'm guessing... Have you been addicted to get back there? Yeah, of course. Yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. That's that that that's what I'm. That's what I try and get out of every minute of life, right? Right. You know, like, and that's not to say that I'm approaching life as a, you know, a performance that I have to slay every minute. But again, it goes back to that thing of just trying to get out of my own way. Mm. I'm happiest when I'm connecting. You know having a conversation where I'm not doubting what's coming out of my head or trying to preempt where it's going or mm. am I, do I sound clever? Do I sound funny? Just yeah. being there. Um, and I think that's what the zone is, you know? And again, that's why I enjoy hanging out with animals and kids because yeah. they're never not in the zone. They're just all that, that they inhabit that place. Yeah. You know, every, everything is play. Everything is improv. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's a constant now, 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 now. And so if that's how you define the zone, that's where I want to be all the time. I'm yeah. most miserable when I'm self-obsessed. Right. <laughs> Which can also happen in the zone. hundred percent. Right. And you know, I've been, and you know, that, that great moment where um, they deprogram the, the stockbroker uh, and send him back into his head and he's like, I'm alive. <laughs> you know, I, I've, you know, I've, I've been that one of those hideous monsters with, substances or with video games or whatever mm. you know that great moment where um i can't remember the character moonwind oh, uh yeah. moonwind says you know uh, but the zone you know can also be a dangerous place because you can you know become obsessed with an activity and become trapped here for me it was tetris right <laughs> right by the way this was a question later but since we're here i would be to- i don't know about you i'd be totally into a whole movie about moonwind yeah. adventures i thought graham norton was great yeah fantastic. he was really yeah, yeah yeah he was a great character yep. um i'm like that I, you know when someone points something out about you and you go oh, i didn't realize i did this and then you had to think about it but mm. a friend of mine that we, we catch up and we go out for dinner and stuff like that and she's like waiters love you and i'm like really and she's like yeah and i was like oh and then i was like oh you know why it's because I worked hospitality yeah. many years ago and I know how shitty it can be. So yeah. when I'm talking to someone, I'll engage. I'll ask them how they are. I'll yeah. ask them, you know, when they're going through the specials and I've already made up my mind, this is what they have to do. So I'll listen yeah. and I'll ask their advice on things. Yeah, and yeah, try yeah, and yeah, yeah. And try and have a moment. There's a, there's something um, Stanhope said many years ago that is one of the truest things I've ever heard, especially for comedians. Because, you know, you know, it's one thing to get up in front of an audience and make a thousand people laugh. Yeah, it feels great. But what really feels great 
is making the store greeter at Walmart laugh. Oh, yeah. You know, just giving them that moment, you know, yeah. and for whatever it is, for yeah. 20 seconds, they're out of it. You yeah. know, there, there, I used to live near a service station um, and the same guy's worked there for 20 years and he's the most, mis- he's like just hollowed out, the most yeah. miserable guy on earth. And the best part of my day was when I would go in there and buy a bag of chips or whatever and just goof off. And, you know, he would la- he'd laugh from his soul. And, you know, he'd immediately like go back down into, yeah. you know, the um, the horror of it all. But for that, you know, for that moment, yeah. it's all good. It's all know? good. Uh, by the way, Tina Fey, wonderful. Fantastic. Very funny. Didn't quite realise it was Tina no, Fey neither. for a while. No, not at all. Um, Sounds much younger. I think she's going for a much younger voice. Yeah, yeah. Which is, is obviously, you know, she's in soul, so yeah. new soul, so. Um, would you have made a good mentor for her? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. You know. Uh, one of my favourite moments in the movie is the is at the barbershop. Where Beautiful. Joe slash 22 feels, has that moment, feeling sorry for the barber, Des, because he didn't fulfil his dream of being yep. a veterinarian. Yep. Yet Des gently chides Joe because he's found happiness as a barber where he saves lives and haircuts <laughs> by being someone people can talk to. And yep. I wonder if this is a trait that we fail to apply to our peers when we see them making art we wouldn't make. What yeah. lesson can you and I take from that? Oh, definitely. I, I think the whole point of that is that, you know, again, that I think the, the, the big theme of the movie of like, you know, you, you get so monomaniacally focused on a dream that will achieve a certain outcome and it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. And it goes back to that thing I was saying before of like, if you can't find that thing, yeah. you, without the dream you ain't gonna find it yeah. you know um yeah i think um and and you know that that that's definitely been a big arc in my life of um you know i thought that i needed whatever to be famous or successful or revered or a great comic or whatever and you know uh, the, the the things that i've done peripheral to that are actually what i've discovered is my whatever true purpose mm. or the things that really resonate with me um and all that stuff was, again, very ego-based and very like, ooh, me, 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 me. And what I've discovered actually brings me joy in my life is, um, it sounds so naff, but is not doing stuff for me. Mm. And, you know, yeah. I started, I've started going to national parks on the weekend and picking up garbage with a claw. And it's the most zen I've ever fucking experienced right. in my life. It's, it's like, you know, and it, it's not, you know, and I'm not saying it to be like, oh, how great am I? It's not mm. about that. It's just about, you know getting out of doing stuff for specifically me and trying yeah. to be in the world. Um, and I think that's the moral of the, the, the Des the Barber, you know. He's like, yeah, I had this thing and it didn't work out and it's fine. You know, it's I fine. get to hang out with I've you guys. This. And I think the most beautiful moment in that is, you know, um, I can't remember how it comes up, but as um, they're leaving the barber shop and it's like, you know, why haven't you ever told me about this stuff? You never asked. All you ever do is talk about jazz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This does feel like a comedian's movie in many ways, doesn't it? Uh, I'm going to skip a couple of these questions because we've essentially uh, answered them already and there's only a few more to go. But uh, I love the use of John Batiste's music for the ongoing jazz songs and the tag team of Reznor and Atticus Ross for the metaphysical segments. Mm. There's a theory as you get older, you lean toward jazz or country. (laughs) Are you finding yourself with a particular leaning yet or are you out on both? Nah, I, I, well, I, I mean, I, I, you know what? I, I don't, I, I would probably lean more to jazz than to country. 
Um, but I'm more in the Atticus Ross. Uh, oh, yeah. I like drone. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Absolutely. Like I'm more in the, in in that space as well. But uh, it, it's funny. I've I've had this conversation with a couple of my friends who are my age, and it's a lot of my friends are right in the country and that's really? why I don't talk to them that much anymore. <laughs> I mean, good country's great, but no, uh, no. it's not, it's definitely, yeah, it's, it's not the music I gravitate to. But having said that, most of the music I like, people find obnoxiously oh, yeah. awful. So yeah. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Uh, we've already, just, I was going to ask you the, about the criticism that the movie's too adult for kids, but I think you've already answered that by telling me the kids that have seen it have... And you know, why, and why, yeah, and why, did, why can't it? Well, you be? know, you know, there's this, there's this part of me that laments, or no, doesn't lament, is grateful towards mum who sat with me and watched things, totally, and we would talk about them, totally. It doesn't, you know, you know ins- I mean, Inside Out is, I mean, that's, I mean, we could do a whole other conversation about Inside Out, yeah, but um, you know, that's that's similarly very heavy, you know, it's essentially. The story of a little girl's first experience with depression. Mm. You know, her happiness is literally <laughs> at the bottom of a ditch yeah. with her dying imaginary friend. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty heavy shit. That's and, heavy. And, um, you know, kids love that movie. Yeah. And in fact, it gives you a great um, language for yeah. talking about what's going on in their heads. I, I, I don't subscribe to that theory. I, I cannot stand that idea that kids are incapable of processing big things. That is Utter bullshit. Oh, yeah. Utter bullshit. Yeah. I have had some of the most profound conversations about death and life and the universe yeah. with kids. And that, you know, this idea that they need to be sheltered and protected. Sure, they do. Shelter and protect them from fucking the toxicity of every fucking serial killer show on Netflix and all this gross yes. apocalypse culture that we fucking roll around in our own shit. Yes. Like this garbage. Yeah, that, that shit is, you know, and the, and the pornography of Bratz dolls and all this garbage selling sex to them and all of that stuff. That stuff is perverse. But yeah, man, like they are, they are, there's very wise yeah. kids, you know, and this notion that they can't conceive of big, it's, it's bullshit. They, they, they're so open to new ideas and heavy concepts because they haven't got a rigid worldview yet. And so, you know, it's when the whole gay marriage thing started. And it's like, how will I describe gayness to a child? Really easy. Yeah. Some guys like guys and some girls like girls. Yeah. The end. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. That like, was, <laughs> it's, that was, it's done. Like, I used to, uh it was a it was a niche routine, but I used to do a routine about a guy who got upset when Doctor Who was becoming a woman. It's like, how am I going to explain that to my child? And I said, what, in a TV show about a person who changes bodies every time one body dies out, who travels through time and space in a time machine that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, where the oldest actor played the youngest version and the youngest actor played the oldest version <laughs> and fights Cybermen and Daleks and Zygons. <laughs> You're going to be fine. Because all you do is say, you know how the doctor changes bodies? Yeah. Doctor's now a woman. All right. Cool. Can, can I have an ice cream? <laughs> no worries. It's going to be okay. But this is the thing. When, you're, when, you are, when you are new to the world and every concept is new, then therefore every concept is normal. 
Yes. You know, I mean, I might have said this to you before, but if, you know, if you'd gotten to the age of 40 and you'd never seen a giraffe before, mm. and then you saw a giraffe for the first time, you'd have a fucking annual, like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yes. But you only, you, you, it's normalized because it was on your bed sheets when you were a kid. Yeah. And the same with any concept. Any yeah. concept is normal. Yeah. Do you know, like, and especially this generation, my God, they're facing down the end of the world from fucking a million different fucking angles. Yeah. This is the time yeah. for heavy concepts, you know? Yeah. And you think about the movies that were very popular in the 80s, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and Who oh, Framed yeah, Roger Rabbit yeah, and yeah. all these movies that it was, I think it was only a very modern conception that kids are incapable of processing yes. darkness. Yes. Kids go to, da- I mean, I did, went to yes. very dark places as a, as a kid. Oh, the world yeah. is huge and terrifying and scary and we need myths and fables and stories to, you know, quantify it. It's a. Uh I always rem- this. What well, the reason that I think the Christopher Reeve Superman movie is one of the all-time great blockbusters and great superhero movies is that, and you can see why it's a was a blueprint for Nolan, uh, is because in this movie about a guy who comes from a different planet and gets superpowers and can fly and do all these amazing things, I. My mum took me to see that, and at one point <laughs> she heard crying, and she said, oh, who's crying? And it was me, because the most heartbreaking moment in that whole film that really resonated with me was after he's grown up and, his, and Pa Kent has died, mm. he, he leaves his mum behind to go and find his destiny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, on, like, I couldn't articulate it at the moment, but yeah. at that at time I knew that that was in some way the biggest decision that Clark Kent totally, will make. Totally. Because he's discovered he's this other person and he's gotta go and he's gotta go and discover that and find yeah, that and, yeah, yeah. and do the right thing by what he can do. Of course. And that fundamentally hit me. Hundred yeah. percent. You know, and this idea of, you know, helicopter parenting and bubble wrapping kids and everything, I think we're seeing the result of that. There's, you know, a large section of people in their early twenties who are just not fit for life. Oh, <laughs> like they're yeah, they're, they're sure. triggered by everything. Everything's insulting. Everything's an outrage. Yeah, and not, you know, I'm I'm triggered. I'm 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 having an anxiety meltdown. It's like, yeah, guess what? Life has sharp edges. Yes, it fucking hurts. And also because there's so many grown ups that have co opted fair arguments and things that we shouldn't do, and applying them in places where they shouldn't. It's it's meant that discourse is all over the place, and I say this, I've got something very specific in mind, hmm. which I was just flicking around on uh, ABC's Instagram, and someone had written underneath something, uh, like, they, you know, this site, all it does is it shows, here's something from a conservative side, and here's something from a left-leaning side, because it's the ABC, and they actually do provide a balanced argument of things, you know, it's in their charter, they have to, mm-hmm. and this person had written underneath, oh, look at the ABC. They used to be really good journalists, but look at them now, pan- like, look at this pandering. But, uh, oh, look at the way they pandered to this, blah, blah, blah. But they'd spelt panda, P-A-N-D-A. <laughs> and then, like, people had just fucking teed off and, like, people are, like, putting underneath, you, you know, panda and, like, putting kung fu panda yeah, waving to him and all of that. And then... He's come back and he's like, I'm sick of this bullying. And it's like, nah, man, you were a cockhead yeah. and people are calling you out for being a cockhead. Yeah. That's not pandering. Uh, that's not bullying. Yeah. Like bullying is oppressing someone for 
trying to express themselves 100%. and they've done like you, you you were a dickhead you were a fuckhead a fuckhead yes and shame and bullying you has were, a place you it were, does you were a cock fuckhead dickhead <laughs> you were all of the things you wrote the wrong panda while being on and if you had any sense of being a decent person you would write got me oops <laughs> <laughs> you, you totally you just own it. Totally, but this idea, you know, and I think it's, I think it's very, very <laughs> essential to teach children to understand fundamentally. Underneath it all, we're all fools. Yes, we're all fools, and you need to have a sense of humor about yourself. And then, and because adults are providing bad examples to the kids this yeah. is why the kids are coming up and they're confused and yeah, they yeah, are yeah. robust and they are malleable of course and they, they are can. of yeah. course they are you know like every every close relationship i have with a kid like yeah. half of it is we roast the shit out of each other yes we roast each other and i think one of the biggest gifts you can give a kid is a profound sense of humor about themselves and to be comfortable in not being laughed at in a malicious way yeah but, you know, hey, you fell over in front of everyone and we're all laughing. And that's fine. Like, it's funny. It's okay. Yeah. You look like a goof right now. Yeah. And that's cool. Like, be comfortable being a goof and your life will be... There, there was one kid that, you know, I've, I've known for years. And, um, you know, I started out kind of, you know, giving him grief, giving him grief. And, you know, he'd get very upset and very staunch and everything. And then one day, um, I was having a conversation with his mom and she was like, you know, you really need to lay off. He's getting really upset. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And sat down with him and I was like, all right, so this is the score. Uh, I'll lay off. That's, you know, but I've noticed when I roast other kids, you think that's really funny. So is it okay that I roast them, but not you? And he's like, yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. It's either everyone is being roasted or you don't get to join in when I'm roasting other people. Okay, and process that. And over the years has become so comfortable in laughing at himself to the point where now like there's this whole running joke that he's married to Jojo Siwa, this toxic teen influencer on YouTube. Right. And, you know, I call him Mr. Siwa and he's like laughing and everyone's calling him Mr. Siwa. Like something that he would have found completely abjectly horrifying a couple of years ago. Yeah. But realizing the empowerment that comes from that, from being in on the joke. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's, there's the real sense of power that comes from that. Yeah. You know, I mean, we know that from being comedians. Oh, it's, yeah. You know, la- laugh at me. I am the fool and that's okay. Yeah. You know, it's this, 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 this preciousness and I can never be mocked or I can... Ne- and, 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 and not delineating between malicious mockery and the mockery of I'm a fallible human being and I say yeah. and do dumb things a lot and actually I can, if I can own it, I can get past it. It's yeah. not owning it. Leads to a lack of evolution. Yeah. And also, if you're my friend, you can mock me. It's fine. That's fine. And, and, and actually, that is a bond of trust. Oh, yeah, for it, sure. It is, yeah. It is, it is, it's a mark of how close we are yeah. that we can relentlessly mock each other. Yeah. And yet, you know, not carry any kind of hurt feelings over <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly. Was that directed at me? No. Anyway, <laughs> the... Um, Okay, three quick questions to finish off the questions before we get to the squid bits. In the end, what do you think 22 becomes in the real world? What does 22 become in the real world? That's an interesting question because I was thinking about that. Like, obviously, the souls, when they're put into a body, have no memory of the uh, before life. Mm. Like, there's that great line um, um, when they're going to the seminar when one of the, when one of the creatures says, um, now, you've been here before, but you don't remember that because... Um, the, not remembering childbirth is one of the great gifts of the universe. Uh, yeah. 
Um, what does 22 become? I don't know. I don't know. But I did notice that I don't think she's being um, put into America. Right. I think she's zooming towards India. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. So, um, my mum... I got my mum to watch it and she... Yeah. Oh, God, I wonder if I can find it You, you, you mentioned to me that your mum doesn't necessarily like animated films. Did she like this film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I prefaced it with that. I was like, ah, no, you're not really into animated films, but I reckon this is one that's worthwhile giving uh, a crack. Um... So, no, nah, I'm not going to be able to find it. Anyway, but she, uh, I think she's, uh, I might be com- mildly wrong, but she felt like she became like a, a spiritual kind of healer or something. Or like not, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. Not, not, not quite that, but, you know, took something good into the world. And I, I would assume that, the, you know, uh, the, the cynicism and that wryness is so much a part of that character that I would have to believe that carries over into her human life. Yeah. I would, I would like to think that it's that beautiful combination of cynicism paired with the awe yes. of being alive. Yep. She's a blogger. Uh, <laughs> what do you think Joe goes on to do with the rest of his life? Um, I think he probably... Just like, lives it. I, don't think I, it I reckon he balances it. Yeah. I reckon he balances... Like, you know, uh, Angela Bassett, by the way, is Amazing. so good. Like, you know, when she says, well, we just come back and do it tomorrow night, yeah. I think he finds joy in that. Yeah. But he also enjoys... That he's got the school job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, again, it goes back to that resonance of the true meaning of Smell the Roses. Yeah. You know, because Smell the Roses isn't about smelling roses. It's yeah. about being alive yeah. now and finding, you know, I used to try and, uh, you know, when I was in a really bad place a few years ago, I used to try a diary every night and I would, and I would always try and, t- like, note what I would call a, a perfect holy moment, just some whatever it is, something. Just even if it was a three-second, you know, look to someone across the train carriage where we kind of grin at each other, just something mm. that was like, oh, you know, you you broke out of your fucking head and you were and you were in the world and you mm. were alive for a minute. I think it's just that. I think that the the, the final shot is uh, is so beautiful where he walks out the door and just closes his eyes and breathes, yeah, breathes in, you know, and I, I um. My mum talked about that after she uh, had cancer uh, and it was pretty touch and go for a while. And I'd never heard her speak like this before, but, you know, all of a sudden she was talking about the feeling of the sun on her face, you know, and the wind and just that, you know, you know, not, not being caught up in the day to day of, you know, I've got to do this and I've got to do this and this is who I am. And, and these are my obligations to these people. And it's like, you know, I'm an organic collection of molecules that mm. is sentient and aware and whoa that's isn't yep. that crazy we're all renters in the end yeah my final question it's the most important question i'm going to ask you for this podcast yeah what happened to the soul of the cat that joe kicked out of the body <laughs> yeah then you, you see the cat going up the escalator right <laughs> Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's. I, I thought about that when I watched it again this morning because it's like, well, that cat's dead, but then the cat's alive again at the end. Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, soul yeah. Get, like, maybe it's a new soul. Maybe you know, like, may uh, it doesn't necessarily mean the great beyond works uh, linearly, linearly with uh, time on Earth. So maybe just before it gets to the great beyond, it goes yeah, yeah. back into the body. But it's touch <laughs> and go, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I remember, Terry chucked the soul back into the cat. It was. I was watching it by myself, and I went, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> well, 
right. there's a few very dark by the way let's just pause for a second there are a few very dark jokes in that film oh, yeah. i've heard i've heard criticism about um Terry, the two-dimensional yeah. um, uh, auditor, yeah. uh, when he accidentally captures the wrong oh, guy, yeah. Yeah. and you know, going, "Oh, that's that's racist. That's a racist trope of like all black men look the same." I think that that's an intentional. I think that's a very intentional commentary on that trope. Right. I think that is the joke right. that he captures the wrong black guy. Right. Um, because there's another joke later, on, earlier on, where he's in his um, hospital gown trying to hail a cab. Yes. And it's just a sideline oh, yeah. where he's like, oh, "This would be difficult, even if I wasn't in a hospital yeah. gown." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like. I think it's very aware of those tropes. Absolutely. More and than people are, are giving, giving it credit, credit for. for. Right. Well, there's some stuff in Squid Bits that I think backs that yep. up so uh there was a reference to charles drew in the movie i didn't know who charles drew was no. so i looked it up he was a black physician who pioneered the blood transfusion he discovered that wow. if you remove the plasma which is a liquid part of blood from the whole blood where the blood cells exist and then refrigerated them separately blood lasted longer and was less likely to become contaminated wow. there's an apocryphal story regarding his death where charles was in a car accident and taken to a white hospital where they refused to give him a blood transfusion Transfusion. This story isn't true. Okay. The medical team tried to save him, but his injuries were too much. And Charles' family later sent letters to the physicians thanking them for their efforts. However, this story is believed because many black people were refused attention mm. in the South back in the 1950s. So yeah. anyway, I went on. A, this is yeah, one of the reasons yeah, yeah. why I've only seen the movie once because I went into this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, little journey reading about uh, Charles Drew. Where, where is the reference to him? Ah. Uh, oh, no, I can't think, but oh, okay. it's, it's it's referenced in sure. the movie, yeah. and it was just a it was just something where you go, I don't know, but who is that? Okay, yeah. Uh, initially, Joe was going to be a scientist, but instead, they uh, writers and that settled on a musician because yeah. it is a profession that an audience can root for. Yeah, which makes sense. Uh, direct- I think it also resonates with the theme of the movie. You know, yeah. chasing a dream, and yeah. you know, you do the gig, and you know. I'm looking for the ocean. You're yeah. in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, even if you're even if you're not a music fan, you understand yeah. roughly what people see in music or, you know, science is just kind of a little bit too defined. A bit, a bit too abstract, yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, director and co-writer Peter Doctor began developing the movie back in 2016 after winning his second Academy Award for Inside Out. Mm. His producer recalled that after Doctor won the award, he had a moment of wondering... Is this it? Do I just do this again? And that is where the story of the making of this film begins. And that, that I feel like this is why this is the perfect movie to watch at the start of 2021 because yeah. un, not unlike anyone who is listening to this podcast, I'm sure this is not a unique experience that I'm about to share. But normally, even though it is arbitrary at the beginning of the year, you do normally feel like it's the beginning of the year mm. and I'm going to yeah. nail it. And the start of this year is like, I was on my haunches going, <sighs> yep. oh, fuck, I have to do this again. And yep. so yep. that's why we're starting this season of the podcast with this movie. Totally, <laughs> totally. Uh, I, was, I was mildly, I wasn't dismissive, but, uh, you know, talking about stopping and smelling the roses uh, was something that I was sort of, thinking about quite a bit um but the way uh doctor said he was exploring it and i think this is just a, this this is essentially a more articulate way of saying it but i think is also gets it away from that hallmark card thing uh 
he said he was exploring that sense of when you look back, are you going to be thinking, I spent a worthy amount of my limited time on Earth worrying or focused on that? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, I knew I had that in my back pocket to uh, come to, but, but it was funny thinking about these things and seeing, like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, to make certain the black community that was expressed in the movie was authentic, Pixar created an internal culture trust composed of black Pixar employees and hired several consultants that included Quincy Jones, Herbie Hancock, oh, yeah. Questlove, and Janetta Cole. And obviously John Baptiste. A- and John Baptiste, yes. The fingers that um, were animated at the piano are um, modelled on John Baptiste's fingers. Oh, Beautiful, right? Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, the filmmakers were undecided on the ending of the film right up until the final screening. Some versions really? ended with Joe passing on to the great beyond. Others had him returning to Earth a year later or staying in the great before. As a right. mentor. Yeah. I thought that's where it was going to go. I thought he was maybe going to go to and be a mentor. But yeah. uh, but I, I like the ending. So Yeah, it's funny. The yeah. first when I when I first watched it when because I was convinced he was about to blip into the great beyond and then when she comes and goes, We're gonna give you a second chance, there was that cynical part of my brain going, nah. But yeah. as I meditated on it and then yeah. watched it a couple more times, it's like, no, it's it's completely resonant with the theme. Because yes. I mean the whole thing is a giant metaphor as yes. All great movies are, and you know the. I, I do think actually that the thing I was saying about Mum's cancer. I think this whole movie can be seen as something like that. You yeah, know? like you, 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 your life. You think your life's about to end, and you know what? How did you live it? And yeah. If you were given a second chance or a reprieve, yeah. Where do you go? Yeah. That's how I try to spend every day. <laughs> oh my god, I'm about to die. Guess what I'm going to do. Eat this snack. <laughs> watch Tenet again. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will watch it again. Um, In your hall of memories. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's just me listening to Bowie and watching Tenet on loop. And it's like, oh, yeah, then I, 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 I nailed that. Life, well done. <laughs> New theory. Tenet is uh, Christopher Nolan's Lost Highway. But anyway, we'll talk about it yeah, some other time yeah, when we do our re-re-re-watch of uh, Nolan. Uh, there were some <laughs> scenes that showed 22's life on Earth after her birth, including one where she reunited with Joe. These ideas never progressed past the storyboard stage and Doctor thought it was more powerful to let yep. the audience decide what happened next. Yep. 22 is called 22 because it represents the number of Pixar movies released before Soul came out. Oh, right. We see a young soul shooting an arrow into a target, which triggers their spark. There is some speculation that this is a reference to Merida from Often Brave. Often Brave, yeah. Yeah, who had a passion for archery and probably discovered it in the great beginning. I also heard something, I, 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 I don't know how this relates because I've forgotten already, but the, the 22 is also a reference to a Catch-22. Oh, but right. I'm, my brain is not um, able oh, to figure okay. out how that works right. right now. But when I read it, it resonated. Yeah, right. Um, there are Chinese food boxes seen in the movie, once on the hedge fund manager's desk and another when rubbish spills out onto the sidewalk. Chinese food boxes also turn up in A Bug's Life, Monsters, Inc. and Ratatouille. Mm. Uh, 22 keeps the name tags of all of her previous mm. mentors stuck to a wall and you can check them out if you want to freeze that frame. I only just wrote down a few because it was too much. Yeah. But some of the previous mentors included Martin Luther King Jr., Aretha Franklin, <laughs> Stephen Hawking, Leonardo da Vinci, Vincent van Gogh. <laughs> But there were two names that I didn't like. There were, and I was like, I don't know who that is. Turns out two Pixar yeah. employees who have died, Joe Grant yeah, yeah. and Joe Ranf, uh, which is really sweet. Jack Kirby was also there. I saw Jack Kirby. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Jack Kirby. Oh, God. Uh, the 
the popular Easter egg A113, which refers to the classroom at the California Institute of the Arts where students learn about animation, pops up in Pixar movies and appears three times here. One on the street sign in the Hall of Everything. Two, graffiti in New York. Three, when Terry is in Joe's apartment, he hits the A1 key on the piano that has the <laughs> tuning of 113. Uh, Dr. Borgensen, the identity of the soul that Joe steals, has a statue in the Hall of You where he's pointing with one hand while holding the hand of a young child with the other. This is a play on the statue of Walt Disney that holds hands uh... with Mickey Mouse. Uh, John Ratzenberger, who has voiced a character in every Pixar film from the beginning, has an uncredited line in Can Soul. Can I guess what it is? Yeah. Is he the guy on the train that goes, hey, watch what you're doing? Oh, no. Oh, okay. You can hear him in Joe's memory saying, we're looking for something different. He's considered Uh, Pixar's good luck charm. I would have thought, yeah, that's... Uh, Another Pixar tradition is including a nod to their next film. There is a poster in a window that says, visit Portarosa and fly... Lucha Airlines, Luca, Lucha. Mm-hmm. Uh, this references the next film, Luca, which is about a character called Luca Portoroso, who lives in Italy and is best friends with a monster disguised as a human, which sounds a bit too much like The Shape of Water to me. Uh, <laughs> another common Easter egg is at the end of the credits where Pixar often lists production babies who were born to the staff during the production of the film. This time they're called Recent You Seminar Graduates. Ah, uh, great. Uh, John Batiste composed jazz music that was user-friendly but also felt authentic so it could be appreciated by mm. a general audience. And finally, the final line of the movie referring to Joe's life was originally... I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. But Dave Devan, one of the animators, said, that line bumps me because it yep. doesn't seem real that I couldn't enjoy every moment of life. So they then changed it to, I'm going to live every moment of it because <laughs> even though you might suffer or be disappointed, you're going to remain connected, which yep. is a more realistic goal for all of us. There's a beautiful line uh, when 22 is talking about her day and she says, um, and then a guy yelled at me on the subway and it was scary, but I kind of liked that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I feel like that's, uh, you know, that's just about everything. Did it's we just, miss anything? Did there's anything you wanted no, to No, I just think it's, I, I honestly, I, I haven't been moved by a, a movie like this in a very long time. Yeah. It's really, uh, it really did a number. Like just talking about it, I'm tearing up. Yeah. It really did a number on me. Uh, and I think it's so beautiful and I'm so glad it exists. Yes. No, and uh, I'm really looking forward to, especially after the t- this discussion sitting down and uh, re-watching it yeah. again so and then uh, then we'll have to start our Sophia Coppola rewatch, and we'll start with something light-hearted called The Virgin Suicides <laughs> great to have Ben back on the show and we'll start our Sophia Coppola series very soon I'll be bringing in some regular guests and also introducing you to some new people over the course of this new season. And the news that I mentioned at the start is the the smaller podcast that I'm going to do for you. I've decided that I'm going to do a rewatch of The Leftovers beginning with episode one on my own. Like, maybe I'll bring in someone here or there, but... To be honest, it's very difficult to coordinate talent for a free podcast, and I've wanted to cover The Leftovers since the end of our first season, and there's 28 episodes, so to try and find someone that can do 28 weeks in a row of The Leftovers, it's, it was just, it, it was beyond me. 
Like if this thing uh, generated some coin, we'll talk about that in a sec, then I could throw some money uh, at people and that that usually (laughs) gets people a little bit more focused, doesn't it? But look, I love this show so much and I figured, well, it means so much to me. Why don't I just cover it by myself? And if I find someone specific to talk to, I'll bring them in. But why don't we just do this one together? So if you're up for it, Get your hands on the series and we'll start our journey with Kevin, Nora and the rest of the gang on The Leftovers very soon. After the last three seasons, we're going to be working towards monetizing this podcast to help cover costs. Uh, I want to keep this free for you, but the amount of time that goes into writing, recording, producing and promoting is phenomenal. Like it takes up a lot of time and I don't have anyone working with me on this to help me out. And that's not a complaint, but after a a, a tricky 2020 and, you know, financially it was sort of all over the place and, uh, you know, I just have to kind of be smart about it. And I would prefer to keep doing this and work on this with you than uh, have to take other kinds of uh, jobs, etc. that uh, take up... uh, so much time like they help you out financially but they can just be so time sapping and you know this is where we have all of the fun so all I'm saying is with that in mind uh, the main goal at this point is to just increase our profile and if you could uh, help out the podcast with positive reviews online and also recommendations to people out there that you think might like the podcast well, that would be uh, welcomed and it would also be appreciated. We have a Facebook page for the public and a private page that allows us to talk about theories. Uh, the, the private page is just so we can talk about theories and, and not feel like if anyone's just checking in for the first time and we ruin something. And, uh, you know, we have some little competitions here and there, etc. So anyone can join. And I've been absent for the past month while I just kind of got everything going for 2021, but I'll be back there with this podcast. So if you're watching WandaVision and you want to share your theories and thoughts, come and join the private page so we can discuss this properly. Let's finish with our first quote for 2021. This is from Nina Simone, who said, Music is an art and art has its own rules. And one of them is that you must pay more attention to it than anything else in the world if you are going to be true to yourself. And if you don't do it and you're an artist, it punishes you. Great quote from Nina Simone. And it's really great to uh, have your company again. I hope you're well. There'll be more of this coming up. And... uh, Let's try and nail this year as best we can. Until then. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.